0: Well, good morning. Um, I'm, I'm guessing a lot of you have got something on today because you've all come to the 9.30 service. Um, um, I'm slightly worried that I'm preaching to no one in the next service, but um, we, will, we will see. Uh, it's, good, it's good to see you. My name's Steve, for those of you who don't know. Uh, I'm married to Tammy, who you've already met. and uh, We have the privilege of helping to lead this thing uh, we call Central Vineyard. And uh, today, I have the privilege of uh, bringing a teaching series that we've been doing for the last few weeks to, to an end, uh, our Emotionally Healthy spiritual, Spirituality Series. And at the start of this year, um, I said that we really felt that one of the things that the Lord was pressing on us uh, was an invitation for us to go deep and go wide, Uh, That that we would, in 2019, go deeper in our faith, in our connection to Jesus, and that we would go wide, that we would grow in our influence and grow in the things that he's called us to be and do. And so uh, this series, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, kind of serves as a a little bit of an on-ramp or a a, a pathway uh, to what we feel the Lord is inviting us to do this year. This this concept of emotionally healthy spirituality we stole uh, from a, a guy called Peter Cazero. He wrote a book of the same title, and 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 the subtitle of this book is this: It's impossible to be spiritually mature whilst remaining emotionally immature. Uh, he goes on and he says emotional health and spiritual health are inseparable, uh, that, that we are integrated emotional and spiritual beings, that, that, that our emotions and our spiritual life and the, the physical aspects of us, the social aspects, they're all integrated. They make us human. And, and so the question I want to ask this morning as we bring this series to, the, to a close is where do we go from here? Where Where? do we go from here? Over the last six weeks, you've heard a number of different people share some different themes around this um, subject of emotional health. And, you know, I just want to say that um, it's been a really great time, hasn't it? That um, uh, everybody who has spoken, everybody who has shared has, has really shared from a place of vulnerability. And um, that, that's, that's not a, an easy task to to be vulnerable in front of you lot. Um, and, and, and so, you know, but what I think that does is that when, when there's a level of vulnerability, when we, when we are willing to share not just the highs, but also the lows, it unlocks something in us, doesn't it? It unlocks something in our hearts. And so when, uh, when people make themselves vulnerable before us, when, when we hear some of those themes that we've been walking through, we realise that actually our hearts are unlocked so, to begin to take some steps towards this thing we call emotional, emotional health. So what stops this sermon series just being another sermon series? What stops you going home and thinking that was nice and forgetting about it? What, what, what stops that you know, many of us can be in church, can't we? And we can hear great teaching, maybe not this morning, but we can hear great teaching. We can um, we can get to the end of the service and we think, yeah, Holy Spirit, I just want you to come and meet with me. Uh, I, I want to respond to what it is you're saying. I want to consider changing my life because you've spoken and there's, there's different things going on in my life right now. And I, I recognize that you're putting your finger on this area of my life. You know, and, and, and so we can get to the end of a service like this and be in that position, can't we? We can be there. I'm sure we've all experienced that, that, that we get to the end of search and we're like, yes, I'm going to take on the world. I'm going to, I'm going to change things. I'm going to take some intentional steps this week. That's what I'm going to do. And then Monday morning comes along and maybe like us, you overslept and, and so you're late getting to work or uni or, or school, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of running out the door with breakfast and coffee, uh, in your hand. And, and, and then maybe if you're at that life stage that we're at, you spend the rest of your week in the evenings being a taxi driver uh, for various clubs and activities and things that your kids get up to. And then before you know it, it's Friday. And uh, Friday evening may resemble something like buying a takeaway, having a few glasses of wine, and collapsing like a heap on the floor is there anybody else's Friday? Rep- represent that. You know, we, we have this tendency uh, to make Fridays like that. And, and suddenly that moment, that sense of intention that we had at the beginning of the week, that, that sense that, yeah, God, I'm going to change some things in my life. I'm going to take some intentional steps. Suddenly that becomes a distant memory. And then you get through Saturday and you're back at church on Sunday, and someone else gets up and speaks. And, and you think, you know what? The Holy Spirit's speaking to me. There's, there's something He's revealing in my heart. I, I know I need to respond. I need, I, I need to do something about this. And then Monday morning comes, and commitment comes, and, and work comes along, and family activities come along. And that intention becomes just a distant memory. And we may have even sat in here and, and been in that position. And, and the words that we've said to ourselves is, I'm going to try harder this week. Any, anybody said that? I'm going to try harder this week. And yet we get to the end of the week and we've forgotten. We've forgotten what it is the Lord is doing. And so some of us, I want to suggest that that's what every week is like. That we live week after week, month after month, year after year with the best of intentions that never get fulfilled. That we never really act upon the things that we intend to do. And and one of the ways that we deal with that. You're going to hate me this morning. One of the ways we deal with that is that we, we desensitize ourselves to the voice of God. And so we choose to not listen anymore. Because not listening is better than dealing with the guilt of not succeeding. So if I just don't listen, then I've got nothing to act upon. And, and everything, will, everything will be fine. And so we end up living a fairly meaningless, shallow Christian experience that's kind of fulfilled by some religious duty. We turn up to a service on a Sunday morning. If we're extra holy, we go to a small group. But that's all. And so after a series like this one, how can we respond differently? How can we build an intentional framework in our lives that doesn't miss the things that God might want to do, that doesn't miss what God might be saying? And so as we finish up this series, um, and and hopefully, I I want to try and set the trajectory. I want to try and set the trajectory uh, for what might be next, what God might be doing. And I want to talk about this concept of a rule of life. And so if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 11. And I'm just going to look at a, a few verses in Matthew 11, picking up in verse 27. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, all things are being uh, committed to me by the Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. I'm sure many of us are familiar with those words from Jesus. And one of the clear things that Jesus is doing in this passage is he's identifying himself as a teacher. Or uh, to put it in the first century context, he's identifying himself as a rabbi. And, you know, Jesus wasn't the first rabbi and and he wasn't the last (laughs) And, and, and what rabbis did was they had they had students, they had apprentices, they had disciples who, who followed them. And the goal of an apprentice or a disciple of a rabbi was to take on the yoke of their rabbi. In other words, taking on the yoke uh, was um, a disciple's willingness. To submit and adhere to a particular rabbi's teaching and understanding uh, of the scriptures, to, to take on the lifestyle of the teacher they were following. And so Jesus is making a really implicit statement here. He says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke. Take my teaching, take my lifestyle, take my way of doing things, and I uh, learn from me. You See, Jesus is implicitly calling his followers to himself as a rabbi, as, as a teacher, and he says this, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find... No, I don't want Instagram to open on my... <laughs> iPad. For you are gentle and humble humble of heart, uh, um, and you will find rest for your soul. That if we take his yoke, if if you practice his way of living, Jesus says you'll find life. If you take on my yoke, you're going to find life. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is is like that the way of Jesus, the rabbi, isn't a burdensome thing. It's not something that lays heavy over our shoulders. It's not something, some heavy weight that we have to carry. But it's a way that's intended to lead us into life. Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message um, paraphrase of the Bible, he, he, he says this passage like this. He says, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So here's my first point. You know, when we think about the things that Jesus may be leading us into as we Think back over the last six weeks, and we think back to all the different themes that we've we've explored, uh, the different messages that we've heard. As we think about what our response might be, as we think about how we might respond to what the Lord's doing, I think often we don't believe Jesus, we don't believe what Jesus is saying here to be actually true. See, often. Um, In the midst of the circumstances of life, in the midst of the pace of life, the distractions of life, when we think about the kind of change that Jesus wants to bring into our life, we often see it as a burden. We often see it as something heavy to carry. And so when Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, if we were honest... And it's good to be honest in church, don't you think? If we were honest, some of us would think, you know what? I don't know if that's true. I'm not sure, Jesus, your burden is easy. I'm not sure it's light. It, feel, it feels kind of hard right now. And so what I want to challenge us this morning to think about how we might respond to some of the things that Jesus has been revealing to us over the last few weeks. Some of the things that Jesus has been saying, I'm not going to make reference to the last six weeks. If, you, if you've if you missed any of those talks, then go on the podcast. You can catch up uh, and, and, and listen that way. But how how might we take what we've heard and make it worth something? How might we take what, what we've heard and it not just be another sermon series, but actually that we would be the kind of people that take intentional steps um, with Jesus, our rabbi, Jesus, our teacher, that we would be intentional about our own formation. You see, we can be formed as beings uh, unintentionally and intentionally. Do you know that? That that we're being unintentionally formed all the time. We're unintentionally formed by lots of things. Our work, our institutions, what we watch on TV. If you own a smartphone, you are being unintentionally formed in some way. And if we know we're being unintentionally formed, a good antidote is becoming intentional about our formation. That if if things around us are unintentionally forming the kind of people we are, then, then the antidote, the thing that we need to do is be intentional. Be intentional about our formation. A few years ago, I became... Uh, particularly aware of some things that I felt were growing in my own heart, as a, just as a person, let alone a church leader or anything like that. And, and I kind of just felt that there was a level of cynicism growing in my heart. And, um, and, and you know, one of, the, one of the, the symptoms or one of the things that cynicism produces uh, in a person is an overinflated view of yourself, that you become, you become this kind of superior figure. And, and because cynics, you know, one of the things that cynics believe is that everyone else is an idiot. Do you know, do you know that? That cynics believe everyone else is an idiot. I mean, so if everyone else is an idiot, I don't need their help. I don't need their input. And, and there's no way I'm going to listen to what they say. And, 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 so, and so in many ways, cynical people come, become self-sufficient people. Um, because they, they live to their own set of rules, because no one else is worthy of telling them anything. And so I began to realize that this, this thing was unintentionally forming in my heart. There was something unintentionally forming in me that I didn't, I didn't like. And it, and, um, you know, and it was unintentional, because I didn't wake up one day and think, how might I become a cynic? Um, that, that, was never my, that was never my intention. But something, something in me was changing, and I didn't like it. There was this unintentional thing forming my very soul. And so for me, that meant a number of different things. It, it meant being willing to be wrong, uh, uh, to not feel like I had to get everything perfectly right every time. It meant I had to practice the discipline of humility. It, 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 it meant that um, I needed to be willing to receive help from others, that, that I needed to see other people, men, women, brothers and sisters in Christ, in the image that God created them to be. You see, when we begin to do that, we allow our hearts to be formed in an intentional way, that we, we see the, the kind of things that are infecting us, and we apply an antidote. You see, a lot of our formation is about counter-formation, that undoing what unintention, unintentional formation has done. In many ways, that's what this journey of emotional health has been about, undoing the things <laughs> That, that we've allowed to unintentionally form who we've become. So what does it mean to adopt a rule of life? Pete Scazzaris, he says this, we too are called to order our lives around spiritual practices and disciplines. Uh, that is a rule of life, something that is utterly foreign to the world around us. It is a call to order our entire life in such a way that the love of Christ comes before all else. You see, a rule of life is about orientating our lives in such a way that we learn what this easy yoke, these unforced rhythms of grace that Jesus invites us into. We learn what that means. Uh, a rule of life is is rooted um, in the third century church uh, where um where some Northern African Christians, uh, a group of people known as the Desert Fathers, they formed what was really the first monastic orders. And they formed these communities and organized their daily lives around an agreed plan consisting of work and prayer and the study of scriptures. And they knew that to grow and mature in their faith, they needed both one another and, and 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 they also need these thoughtful, conscious, purposeful plans. That plan was called the rule of life. But it wasn't just the desert fathers, but actually the church through the ages has formed itself through a kind of corporate rule of life. You know, if we look at the we look at the early church, this ragtag bunch of Jewish people who surrendered their lives to Jesus, got filled with the Holy Spirit, and then we get to Acts 2.42, and it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. See, one of the first things these first believers did was they formed their lives together around a rule of life, giving themselves to certain practices that shaped what their life would look like. Things like prayer and teaching and community and eating together. They did these things consistently. They they formed a rule of life. And in fact, churches throughout the ages have operated with some kind of corporate rule of life. In in our church, we've expressed that in different ways over the years. One of the ways that we've been expressing it recently is that that we want to be people who get to be with Jesus that we get to become like Jesus and we get to do the things he did. And that that our rule of life if you like the way that our life together's been shaped is by being becoming and doing. And 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 so and so we we know what it means to have this kind of rule of life. What we don't do is that we don't often think about it on a personal level. We don't often think about it Um, how we can make a conscious plan, an intentional plan, around our own spiritual formation. We we seldom think about that. Now, the word rule uh, can throw us off a little, can make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. Um, We can feel a little bit controlled by that word. But that word comes from the Greek, uh, which literally means trellis. And a a trellis, uh, as many of you know, is a framework uh, that we erect that enables a plant or a vine to grow in the direction we want it to go in. A trellis helps us to helps a plant to become more fruitful and more productive. And so adopting a personal rule of life is about putting a framework that helps us to intentionally become uh, to intentionally work on our own formation. Peter Scazzaris again, he says this, a rule of life is an exterior framework for an interior journey, a scaffolding to build the spiritual structures of an individual's life with God. It's an intentional conscious plan to keep God at the center of everything we do. You see, uh, a rule of life uh, involves adopting practices and certain habits that help us to shape the kind of person we want to become. And these habits and these practices are essentially, they're based on the life of Jesus and what it means to follow him. And so we could start somewhere. We need to start somewhere. Things like reading the scriptures. (laughs) That seems a fairly basic one, doesn't it? Things like silence and solitude, the, the practice of the daily office of prayer, Things like study, or as we heard a few weeks ago, practicing Sabbath, practicing 24 hours of just unplugging from the world. Simplicity. Play. You know, intentionally doing things that we enjoy. How many of us think about that as a way of forming our souls? That we intentionally do things that we enjoy to do. Have fun. Service, giving ourselves away for the benefit of others. Caring for our physical bodies. Now that doesn't mean just going to the gym. It might mean getting eight hours sleep. Emotional health, finding ways to care for our well-being. Doing things that invest in the well-being of our family, investing in our marriages, our sex lives, our, our children, in investing in skills that help us to be better families. We need to practice community, that we all need companions for the journey. And you know, that, that discipline mm-hmm. of community, what that does is it fights against that, that pull to be an individual. You know, we, we live in a society of individualism where I'm just going to get on with this on my own. I'm going to do this on my own. I'll be fine. But the discipline for us is to be in community, is to be around other people, that we need other people for the journey. And that's not an exhaustive list. But that might be a list where we start. We might pick one or two of them and think, I'm going to do them. I'm going to concentrate on those habits and see what they form in my soul. When we think about spiritual disciplines, when we think about spiritual exercises, um, we can often think that these things are very inward looking. And after all, Steve, we want to be an outward-focused church. We, we talk about, you know, we want to be people bringing transformation and, and joining God in the renewal of all things, seeing communities brought to life. And surely this is all very inward and, and insular. But here's the thing. The journey inward is the journey outward. The journey inward is the journey outward, the impact we have on the world comes out of the overflow of our hearts. It comes out of the overflow of our hearts. And so to intentionally go on an inward journey will result in an outward transformation. That when we invest in us, it spills out. It has an effect. And so this isn't an inward thing. It's an inward thing that leads to an outward thing. And so we want to invest in this. We want to get deeper in this. And so as we step into some intentional uh, lifestyles, as you know, we can struggle. And we can have some objections. And you're probably wrestling with some objections right now. You're probably thinking, Steve's sounding very Catholic this morning. Or oh. um, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, very legalistic. Um, I know you're, you're struggling. I know you are. But we struggle for lots of reasons. First of all, living like this is costly. It's it's costly. It's countercultural. It means at times we're going to live against the grain. It means making some different kinds of choices about where we might live, the job we might do, the the way we use our resources. St. Benedict said this, uh, your way of acting should be different to the world's way. The love of Christ must come before all else. See, following Jesus intentionally will cost you everything. It'll cost you everything. And choosing to orientate your lives in a certain way is going to be costly. You're going to be misunderstood. You're going to be teased. You know, just think about that. Some of the things we talked about the last few weeks. Sabbath. You know, where else in the world do people say, you know what, you should unplug for 24 hours? Well, where, where, just that isn't our cultural pace, is it? The, our culture isn't going in that direction. And so to do this is going to cost us something. It's, it's going to be costly. Another struggle is that the kind of change that it produces is slow. The change is slow because, because we, you know, and we, we struggle with that because we live in an instant culture. We expect change to happen like that. But it doesn't. It's slow. It's, it's progressive. Can you imagine if, you know, maybe you've got a baby and tomorrow you wake up and they're a fully grown adult? <laughs> uh, that would be strange, wouldn't it? That would, that would be strange if that happened. Um, you know, all of us who have children know that on one level, they grow quicker than we can imagine. You know, you blink and they're teenagers. Um, and yet the process of change is slow and, 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 and gradual. You don't notice it day by day. But slowly, over time, as the years go by, they go from being babies in your arms to fully-fledged adults. But it's slow and, 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 and continuous. And sometimes in the process, kids do have growth spurts, I know. You know, particularly their feet. And then you spend, like, you spend the summer term wedging their feet into shoes that don't fit because you're like, I'm not going to buy another pair of shoes for the last six weeks of school. Um, um, I don't know why I told you that. Um, (laughs) But on the whole, change is slow, isn't it? It's slow at at times. It's it's not instant. On on, on a day-to-day basis, change happens, and then suddenly we realize things are different, things have have changed. And that's the normal process. Change is slow, and, and, um, and, and, and we grow over the long haul, doing some intentional things consistently. So what would it look like for you to read the scriptures on a daily basis consistently? What would it look like for you to practice Sabbath once a week consistently? What would it look like for you to choose to simplify your life consistently? You see, it's over the consistent, over the long haul that we experience change. Eugene Peterson used to say it's a long obedience in the same direction. It's a long obedience in the same direction. Another struggle, moving on very quickly because we've got a few minutes, um, we think this is contrary to grace. We think that somehow by engaging in these different practices and habits, we're trying to earn our way to God's affection. That somehow we're trying to earn something. Dallas Willard, the philosopher, says this. He says, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. You see, effort is an action. But uh, earning is an Attitude. See, the most active of people are those who have been set on fire by the grace of God. You see, I'm not talking about trying hard. We know, don't we? We know that trying hard doesn't work. You know, you know we, we might leave to think, I'm going to try harder. It's not going to work. Okay? Trying harder doesn't work. This isn't about trying, it's about training. It's about practice. It's about having a go. It's about learning to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus and and do what Jesus did. And in that place, I want you to know grace abounds. There's enough grace there for us to have a go. There's enough grace for us to go, I'm gonna try this and I might fail. I'm going to try this and I'm not going to get it perfect every time. But guess what? Grace abounds in that place. And the last struggle is that it it offends our sense of freedom. we think that somehow God is limiting us. He's caging us in. He's limiting our freedom, that somehow God is being mean to us because he's causing us to discipline ourselves and and practice certain habits that are not natural to us. But, you know, throughout the scripture, wherever there are limits, it's those limits that always lead to life. Wherever there are limits... It always leads to life. True freedom comes with restraint. Adam and Eve could have ate from any tree in the garden except one. And guess what? If they'd stuck to the rules, they would have found freedom and life. If they'd cho- chosen to maintain the restraints that were put in place, they would have found freedom and life. And so as this series comes to an end, where do we go from here? What's the next step for us? You know, as, as people, we love the transference of information, don't we? We love just to have, give me more information, more, more, more. You know, I, I, we did strength finders with our staff, and, and one of my strengths is input. Okay, and so I just just give me it, just give me it. I just want more information. Give me more information. But as people, we, you know, we love orthodoxy. We love to think, theologize. We love hearing about certain truths, and we can go away on a Sunday thinking that was great, you know, or that was terrible. Um, um, and and you know, we can think about it for a moment, and we can exercise our brains a little bit and think that was that was wonderful. We love orthodoxy, but we can, we can neglect orthopraxy. And, and orthopraxy is how we outwork our thinking. It's how we practice the truth that we've learned. It's how we put it into practice that counts. So what does it look like for us to take on the easy yoke of Jesus? What does it look like to lean into the un- unforced rhythms of grace? What practices and habits do we need to adopt in, a se- in this season of our lives um, that will, will intentionally form the person we're becoming? How might we begin to write our own rule of life? What framework, what, what trellis are we going to put up? What, uh, what are we going to use What are we going to do so this isn't just another sermon series? Tick. And so where do we go from here? Well, I've got two intentional steps for you, okay? And the rest is over to you because I can't do it for you. Um, I've got two intentional steps. The first is this. The 27th of March, we are launching a brand new course called Discovering Discipleship. And, 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 and we're going to open up this whole thing in a much bigger way than we can on a Sunday morning. So I'd encourage you, first of all, commit to that. Commit to coming to that. The second thing is learn to practice these habits in the context of an accountable relationship. Learn to do it with others. As many of you know, historically, we've had groups in our church that we call huddles, not cuddles, huddles, okay? Um, you might cuddle, uh, but they're called huddles, okay? And um, and we've been doing that for a few years now. And, uh, you know, we've had lots of feedback and lots of time to reflect. But in, in April, end of April, early May, we're going to be relaunching our huddles. And we're going to be relaunching our huddles with a missing ingredient, and the missing ingredient is this, is this element of learning to practice certain habits and disciplines in the context of community. And, and, and so look out for that. I'm not going to tell you any more because it's still still uh, we still haven't decided. Okay? But, uh, <laughs> um, but we want to we try and introduce some of these practices into those relationships. Okay? And so I'd encourage you. So there's two steps you can take, but you've got to do the rest. You've got to do the rest, okay? I can't do it for you. No one else can do it for you. You've got to do the rest. And so let's not let this be another sermon series. You know, let this be something that moves us beyond where we are now. Let this be something where we we give ourselves our attention to the things that God has been saying and doing. Shall we stand?